What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 58 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we are all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I'm so thankful you joined this journey. It's hard to believe we are late October of 2019, and this year is smoking by. And I look back at the prior 58 episodes, and there have been some dandies in there. One of those was episode 10 with a good buddy of mine, Shane Williamson. Shane is the president of FCA International, amazing leader, amazing man. And back on our iTunes ratings and reviews, Asheville Lane said this a year ago, Shane, thanks for sharing your heart. Your piece on organizational tension opened my eyes, and especially around those around listening as a leader. The two are so tied together, and my takeaway is as I listen better, I can help lead others through organizational tension to the common good of our organization, and just maybe along the way, let them see Jesus in me. Thanks, Mike and Shane. No, thank you, Asheville Lane for leaving a rating and review because every time somebody does that, it does help others that don't know about Lynch with a Leader find their way. And boy, what I love about it is to expose them to some of America's greatest leaders who really are leading with their faith out in front. That leads me to today's guest. Today's guest is a household name if you love the NFL because his name is Daniel Jeremiah. You may know him from NFL.com. You may know him from the Moving the Sticks podcast. He served as an NFL scout for three different clubs. He serves the NFL network as an analyst, and especially around the upcoming drafts. He is an amazing, amazing mind in the NFL world. But what I love about Daniel, he's not just a former college athlete at Appalachian State University. He's not just a color commentator for the San Diego Chargers broadcast every week or working on the NFL Network or working at ESPN where he's worked before. He's a man who genuinely loves his family and loves the Lord and comes from a great heritage of faith. He's one that I have been so excited to sit down with. I happen to know his brother when we were students at Liberty University together, but Daniel is a guy that uh, I've watched from afar, and I've learned after we got to sit down for a few minutes, there's a whole lot there behind the scenes working in the world of how he lives out his faith on a daily basis. So I don't know what you're doing today, but I hope you'll pull up a chair and I hope you'll listen in and take good notes with my conversation with Daniel Jeremiah. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on Lynch with a Leader. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this. 
Man, I have been looking forward to it too. And it's been neat to watch your career from afar. When you were growing up out there in California, did you ever dream you'd be doing what you're doing today? <laughs> it's funny because, yeah, I mean, dreamed, yeah, but then you get a little bit older and you kind of realize how, man, maybe those dreams are just kind of silly. That can surely never happen. Uh, you know, I remember just going out into the front yard. We had a big tree out in the front yard, and I would take a, I would take a baseball bat and a hard baseball, which probably wasn't very safe in hindsight. Uh, but I can remember going out in the front yard, and I'd hit the ball up into the tree, and, uh, and I would do the play-by-play as if the ball had been pitched to me. I had hit it, and I was rounding the bases. So I was literally calling my own game uh, <laughs> as I was out there in the front. And then, I, and then I would do the same thing with football. I would go – we had a real narrow hallway. And I would uh, I would stack up pillows and kind of make it like I was jumping over the uh, over the pile there down on the goal line. And I would not only be running the play, I'd be calling the play. So I, I kind of realized pretty young, like okay, it, it's really hard to maybe be a professional athlete. But man, I you know I could I could definitely be in the sports media world. That's that, that's a no brainer. I could pull that one off. And then you, you kind of go through. Uh, you go through life a little bit. You go, wait a second, those jobs are pretty rare too. Now maybe <laughs> maybe I was crazy thinking that could happen. That is crazy. So here you are growing up, and I know you were a great athlete in high school, went on, played at Northeast Louisiana for a year, went on to App State. Were you, was the whole leadership bent always in you that that you looked at yourself and went, man, I, you know, I've been given a role on this team to be a leader. I'm the quarterback. Tell me how the whole role of leadership sort of played out in your life growing up. Sure. I mean, uh, look, at it was just being around a lot of leaders, you know, my dad, obviously, you know, a lot of people are familiar with him and, and know his story. I mean, he's, he's uh, the best leader I've ever been around. So I had a front row seat to watch him with, you know, not only with the church and with his ministry, uh, but in our house to really see what a leader looks like. And then you have an older brother that's a quarterback and, and a quarterback is kind of a leadership position. So I got a chance to, to sit and watch him. I was a ball boy for his high school football team. So, I got a chance to see how he kind of, you know, would, would rally the troops there and, and saw his style of leadership. And then for me, it was just something, you know, I played point guard in basketball and I played quarterback in football. So I always felt like those were vocal positions in sports. So you kind of had to assert yourself a little bit and, and then also learn early on, especially from my dad that, Hey, it's leadership's a lot more than talking, you know, it's out there. It's being a servant. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's helping everybody. Uh, try and help them in every way that you can so that the whole team benefits. So um, that servant leadership was something I learned from him. What, what was it that, that he did, Daniel? You know, your dad, man, your dad is known literally all over the world. He's the gold standard in the industry that I'm in. I remember hearing him when I was a student at Liberty, came and did a chapel service. Your brother was quarterback up there. I remember him coming to do a chapel, watching him on television, what was it that your dad did behind the scenes that maybe is not something he said, but it's what he did that marked you the most? Well, you know, one of the things that jumps out to me is my, my dad didn't and still doesn't waste time. Hmm. Um, and I think if you look at anybody that's been successful in whatever area that they've been successful, and I'm talking about even just talking about being a father, he doesn't waste time. Every every minute of the day has an intent, has a purpose to it. Um, he carries a lot of hats with everything he does, but he'd even tell you none more important than being a, a, a husband and a father. And he's always present and he's always investing 
in the things that matter. So you don't get to the end of your day and say, well, gosh, where did that, where did those two hours go? Where did those three hours go? That didn't really go to any purpose. My dad is, is the most purposeful human being I've ever been wow. around. So uh, that to me, and there's a discipline component that comes from that. And I think you can, you know, that's one of the benefits of sports. You know, my dad was a basketball player in college. And I think some of that discipline that you learn there yeah. uh, carries over to the rest of your life. But, uh, you know, that was something that always jumped out to me. Uh, it's just that there was always a purpose to what he was doing on a daily basis. Yeah, and it marks you too, doesn't it? I mean, you watch it, and probably he never said much about it, did he? About, hey, no, I'm going to no, live with just, purpose, just, that he just did it? That was it. I just, I don't remember, I don't remember like a, a, a full day where my dad <laughs> sat on the couch and with potato chips and watched TV all day long. <laughs> what he was doing. Uh, he was always going. And uh, so that was something he didn't have to say a word there. That was a message that I, uh, that I was able to just uh, take in just by watching. So you grow up in church. I mean, not really by choice, but because you're, you're stuck, <laughs> you're stuck like my son and my daughter were, you're stuck in it. When did your faith really become part of your journey where it started leaking out on the field and the court and your life? When, when did all that sort of happen for you? Well, it's a great question. You know, you always like to think that I got saved at a young age. I was four years old um, and grew up with a, you know, a great Christian household. And so I never went through one of those periods where I, I felt like I really strayed far away from, from my faith. Um, but I, in terms of when did it strengthen, uh, I think to me it was pretty easy. You know, you talk about growing up in the in the bubble, right, in the Christian bubble. I went to my dad's schools all the way from, from kindergarten uh, all the way up through 12th grade. I was on the same campus of our church. So it doesn't get more in the bubble than that. <laughs> and then uh, to then go, to go off to college, though, uh, and go to, you know, went to five, spent five years at, at secular universities, that's where it's like, okay, we'll find out if this – yeah, you know, if your faith is your faith or if it's your parents' faith. Um, so that to me was a time of growth, just being able to get out there and say, okay, there's not somebody looking over my shoulder. There's lots of temptation and opportunity out there to go whatever way you want to go. Uh, now we'll find out, you know, the, the, what you got, you know? So this was, that to me was a time period where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm really choosing my faith at this point in time. And, and you go from the San Diego area to Boone, North Carolina. I mean, I don't know if you could, you could get much more of a culture shock than going to Boone. I don't think Boone. it's been done before, and I don't think it's been done since. I That's don't. My, I, I think I think you're probably it. they got your name on one of the green signs riding into Boone right now. <laughs> that we had a visitor from San Diego. So tell me what that experience was like. What you're a you're a beach guy. My daughter's living in California this summer, interning out at Saddleback. And I know, you know, she's loving the the, the California church, life. Yeah. Oh man, what a great place! And then transitioning to Boone, was that a hard transition for you? As a, and I know you spent one year at Northeast Louisiana. Yeah. Was it a hard transition just to the culture shock of it? Yeah, you know, it was probably even bigger just going to Louisiana. You know, coming out of high school and then going into Louisiana, and I think that probably really hit me was the dang weather. I was like, Holy yep. moly. It was, uh, I, I was like, why are we practicing so early in the morning? And they're like, Oh, you're, you're going to find out. Uh, so, I mean, that was an adjustment. It just, just even the weather. Um, uh, but then going from there to Boone, I mean, I can tell you story after story of, of, of difficult moments, you know, going through that time. I remember when I, when I transferred to app state, 
I had uh, I had a semester in between when I left Northeast Louisiana. I actually went home and was trying to figure out where I wanted to go and had some opportunities. And I thought, you know what, I just want to take my time and make sure I make the right decision. So I had worked out every day and got myself ready to go and then visited some schools, ended up deciding on App State. So I get up there and one of the maybe within the first week, we did a conditioning test where we were doing stadium squat jumps. Oh my god. And uh, it was a real steep stadium up there in Boone, if you've seen it. Um, and I just I couldn't finish it. I thought I was in good shape and I couldn't finish it. I thought I was gonna pass out. So I really just quit. I quit in the middle of the workout. And um, I was so embarrassed. I went underneath the bleachers, kind of away from everybody. And I thought, man, what am I doing? Like, I don't know anybody here. Here, I've just failed miserably in one of my first <laughs> opportunities in front of the team. Everybody's going to think I'm a wimp. Um, and so I, I remember calling my dad and saying, hey, I, this come, I'm coming home. I just need to get a plane ticket. This is not going to work out. And, uh, and I just remember him saying, no, you're not <laughs> You're going to go in there, go, go talk to the coach. And Jerry Moore is who was the head of big yep. influence on my life. And I went in there and, and talked to coach and I said, coach, I don't know if this is going to work out. And, uh, he just said, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. So well, I, you know, I just fell out of that workout. It's embarrassing. And he goes, look, you think everybody else is thinking about you. Nobody else is thinking about you. That That's yesterday's news. Just, just get through another day. It's going to get better. Trust me. And so he kind of helped me and, and encouraged me. And I went back in there. Sure enough, nobody really even said anything or knew anything about it. I got myself uh, ready to go and ended up having a, a pretty good time there with football. So that was just one of those moments you talk about having adversity and yep. you know, something challenging you. Man, what a blessing it is to have a father that you can call when you go through times like that. Obviously, you know, you want to rely on your heavenly father, but having, having my own father to be an encouragement and to say, Hey, it gets better. And that was the message that kind of, every time I go through something like that, um, any kind of adversity in life, I get to those moments and I go, you know what? It's going to get better. You know, it's so funny though. You're the easy answer would have been, Hey, we'll get you a plane ticket and I don't want <laughs> you to struggle. I don't want you to hurt. Yeah. I don't want you to be in pain. I want you to be lonely and gotten you out of it. Who, who would you have been? Who would you be now if you had gotten that plane ticket and headed home? I think I would have missed out on some of the best blessings of my whole life yeah. because so many of the best things that have happened to me um, have immediately followed a difficult time, you know, and pushing through that. And I would have missed out on all of it because I would have taken the easy road um, and and that would have just been it, what it, what an empty. I just think I'd have an empty life because That's I look right. at all the different blessings that I've had, and a lot of it has just come right after that. And the neat thing now is that now that I have my four children, and my son's a freshman in high school, and he has a, his first you know his first football practice or sort of off season workout doesn't go as well as he wanted it to, and he's discouraged. And I can tell him you know with with with. 100% confidence. Hey, it gets better. Trust that's me, right. it's going to get better. And you got to, you got to have some endurance. You got to build some of that in you. And that's what life does. That's that old, what's the old phrase? Like you don't have a, you don't have a testimony without the test. So, that's the truth. Uh, you know, Hey, be, be, be thankful for those when they come. Don't, don't, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. God's doing something. And, the, and I'll tell you this too, as a parent, and I knew every, everybody listening in that has kids, it's harder to watch your kids go through it. Oh, then you go awful. through it yourself. It's, it's the worst. My dad it used to say worst. that. I used to say, you're so full of it. There's no way this is harder yeah. on you than it was on me. I'm the one that's going through the embarrassment. And then I see it through. Now I see it through the father's eyes. I go, oh my gosh, he was telling me the truth. 
Uh, when you see a dream dashed and, and you know, I know my son went and walked on, I played at Liberty three years and my son went and walked on up there, made the fall roster, but ended up not making the spring club, you know, when they took out the 34 guys. Mm -hmm. And I remember that call, I was sitting in my office when the phone rang and it was my son calling and I knew what he was going to tell me. And, and there's no uh -huh. way to appease that pain, but you know, God's no. going to use it, but golly, we want to protect our kids from it. We hate oh, watching no them walk through it. Good grief. No question. But so it is fun. It's, it's, so, it's so fun, though, once they do realize that. And they That's have right. That kinda, I get it, and they make it through it. That's a no more proud feeling as a parent than when they get to that point. Boy, isn't that the truth? So you go to App State, and you, and you go from not being able to to finish your, your stadiums, which are brutal. <laughs> we, we used to play there. Oh. My gosh, that's a hilly place. And so you go from not being able to do it. Do you end up being a starting quarterback, going into your senior year, captain of the team, and that adversity, that word adversity, strikes again, and you get hurt? Was it the opening game you got hurt in? Yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh. I believe it was uh, early. I would say it was early in the third quarter against Wake Forest, um, and uh, and you know we had a really good team. It's my senior year. I, I was in the you know I put on some weight. It was the best shape I'd ever been in. Uh, was really having a good year. Was having a good half, and we ended up winning that game again. We beat them uh, a couple years before that, so they were all fired up to play us. And and uh, you know we're well, not going to get us this time. We went down there. We got them again, but I got my knee. Uh, I got my knee um, tore my MCL in uh right in in the third quarter of that game so i'm just sitting here going like i don't understand this one god like i've you know finally you know transferred schools i've been in and out of a quarterback competition and now it's kind of finally my my chance here and uh this doesn't make any sense i mean I, i'm i'm all ready to go i feel like i've tried to honor you along along this this road and, and i was going to use this platform that you gave me and and just kind of not understanding it but again, it was one of those one of those deals where I know you've heard the story, but it was that injury which led to me being in the training room um, when when a scout rolled through that happened to be my brother's college roommate, and uh, he recognized me in there. We struck up a conversation, and that would kind of become how he was. He was the key man who helped kind of get me into to scouting in the NFL. I was never going to be good enough to play in the NFL. If I had not got hurt and had the best year of my life, I still wouldn't have been good enough to play in the NFL. Uh, but because of the injury, God opened the door for me to work in that industry that never would have opened had I stayed healthy. You know, there's that old phrase, and I'm sure you've heard your dad share it a thousand times. We live life forward, and we understand it looking backwards. When, when you were in that room, on that training table, God probably couldn't have seen further away. And yet, yep. and yet he sent in, he sent in somebody through there that was exactly what you needed. And it wasn't a right away deal. It wasn't like you got up off the training table and you had a job yeah. waiting on you at the end of your senior year. Was no. it? No, not at all. I, I had gone and, uh, uh, out of college, finished college. I went and worked for turning point, worked for my dad's ministry, um, for the rest of that year. I graduated in December. So I worked with him for the rest of that, uh, that year we get into the summer and I got a call. I had done some volunteer work for ESPN and just kind of a low-level capacity. So I got a call from them over that summer um, to to go, you know, work on their Sunday night football package as a production assistant. So I I had always had two dreams as a kid. I mentioned it, you know, play play professional sports. I knew that wouldn't happen. But then I, man, to be on air and to get a chance to commentate in this professional sports world would be that would be just about as good as playing. So. Those are the two goals I had, but then 
this was an opportunity as a production assistant. Okay, it's not really what I wanted to do, but it's kind of in that same vein. So I'm going to just go with it. So I was doing that. And, uh, and that literally the, the second year, I did that for two years. So the second year I was, I was doing that job. I was in the, 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 uh, in the press box before a game where the Ravens were playing. And that's when I ran into my brother's college roommate again. Um, and then he inquired about whether or not I'd be interested in scouting. And, uh, and that led to an interview with the Ravens and that kind of, uh, now that's how that whole career happened. It would not have happened had I not you know, had that conversation with him at the training room to recognize him. And, uh, and then to see him again in the press box two years later. So really two and a half years after, um, that injury is when that really paid off. Did you, did you think he'd forgotten you? Did you wonder, did it sort of the whole Joseph in prison kind of deal? Did you wonder, man, did he just forget? I, did he fall off the face of the earth? He, he didn't think I'm around <laughs> anymore. Did you sort of give up on it during that time? I just thought, you know, I thought, okay, God's got something you know, God's got something um, that he wants me to do. And maybe it's just not aligned with what I want to do. Yeah. So I'm just going to end up having to kind of sacrifice some of my, my wants and desires uh, because that's, you know, that's just the way God's working and I'm going to go in a different direction in life. Um, and so, you know what, I, I might not enjoy it as much, but that's, Hey, that's what God's got for me. And lo and behold, it was God saying, no, no, I'm going to supersize your dreams. Your dreams weren't even big enough. What you were thinking. So I'm going to supersize those. I'm going to put you in an area that you want to be in, but I'm, I've got opportunities and I'm thinking God's just thinking way bigger than I was thinking. So uh, it was definitely his path was uh, I like this, like a supersized version of what I wanted. God just had bigger plans. What would you say, Daniel, to somebody right now that they've got a dream, they've got, they've got something they feel like that God laid on their heart but yet they're in that waiting room. They're in that waiting period where it's, they don't know if it's going to come true. They don't know if it's going to, if it's going to happen. What encouragement would you give them? I give them that God's got something better. You know, whatever you think that you are setting your sights on, and it could be for a whole lot of different reasons. It could be better because it's going to be better for your marriage. It could be better because it's going to, it's this, this direction he's taking you in is going to allow you to be a better father. Um, but he's got, he has, he has better in mind for you than you have for yourself. And that's, what's so hard to wrap your mind around. One of the, one of the ways that kind of hit home with me, um, I remember I, my wife, we, we dated for three years. Uh, we'd known each other forever. We grew up in the same area with same schools. And, uh, so, but we had broke up a couple times as young people do when you're dating. And I just remember one time I broke up with her and she said, this is great news. And I remember thinking, what do you mean it's great news? Oh, this, I just, you know, God's got, God's got my best. Uh, God's got somebody way better than you out there. I can't imagine. I think you're pretty good, but there's got to be somebody way better. If this is not going to work out, I can't wait to meet the next guy. And I remember thinking that that way of thinking is so not natural. No, right? it's not. This happened. It's a little this hurtful happened. too, oh, man. Great. Yeah. Well, no, it was. I thought, man, I better get back together with her. She's going to find this other guy that she's talking about. That uh, is awesome. That's how God, that's a good way. I think that's a great way to look at life though. It really is because it's true and it, and it, it won't be on our timetable and it won't be in our plan. I think your life has very much played that out because you get into the scouting world. You begin with, you begin with the Browns, correct? Or no, with, the, with Brown, the Ravens. With you the Ravens began with the Ravens and then moved to the Browns. Yes, correct. That's right. And so, so you're working so with one the of the Ravens legendary GMs. 
Oh yeah, Ozzie Newsom is, is literally it, work, working under him was like getting a PhD in, in scouting. I mean, he's I mean he's a Hall of Fame player, but he's one of the best, if not the best, evaluators ever. So I mean, you couldn't be placed in a better spot. What made him so good? What made him? Because so many guys can't translate playing world to the ability to evaluate world. What made him so unique in that? Ozzie is has a skill. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many people view this skill. I think it's a it's one of the most important skills uh, for a leader. Is Ozzy's a great listener. Mm. Um, he 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 puts good people around him in a lot of different areas, and he takes in he takes in all of the information. He's not somebody that says um, I know more and better than everybody else. I'm going to just plow straight ahead, and you better jump on board with me. No, he gets his, all the information, and then once he has all the information in front of him. He's an incredible decision maker, but he has the facts to back it up, and that gives him conviction to make the right move. But he is the opposite of a bully. Um, I mean, every single person in that personnel department under him had a voice. It didn't matter if you were your first year there. He made you. He not only he not only just made you feel like you were valued, but he actually did value. I mean, if you brought something to the table that that uh, that was helpful or informative, he he would use it and. Uh, that to me, we have so many leaders that it's just kind of a bully mentality. You know, here's where we're going, jump on board. Um, and he's had a, he had a way of just making everybody involved in the process, which is pretty unique. And so, being a young scout, you're new, you're coming out fresh out of college. You've got a couple years in with the Ravens. Now you're with the Browns. What did that time with him do for you as a scout? What what shaped you? That helps you? You know, the hindsight. Looking back, we live it forward. We understand it. Looking back, looking yeah. back now in the role that you're in, how did God use that time with Him and the Browns in your life to make you who you are today? Yeah, it was. You know, look, there was not all easy times there with the Ravens. It was probably the toughest time uh, for our marriage. That first year there, we were living in Baltimore, and I was working incredibly long hours and mm. and was really not living up to what I needed to be doing as a as a husband and a father of, of two young kids. So that was a, that was definitely a learning experience for me. And I remember, you know, that always stuck with me. And so I'm never going to do that again. Uh, I think I put my family that first year was not at the forefront and in every decision since then with the jobs I've taken or turned down. Um, that's, that, that's, that's been the deciding factors. What is this? What does this mean here for my family going forward? Um, so that was a lesson I kind of took from there more than anything I learned on the football field was something I did wrong. <laughs> Um, and trying to and trying to learn from that. So um, going there from 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 Baltimore to Cleveland and Cleveland, I got a chance to kind of have some responsibility uh, to kind of run help run that scouting department. So it gave me some leadership responsibility and uh, learning learning different different things uh, through that process. I and mean, we we had one year there where we my first year there we were ten and six, uh, just missed the playoffs. The next year we were four and twelve and we were all blown out of there. And the neat thing was when I got let go there, now I've had a chance to kind of see some of these downtimes, you know, God used these downtimes to spring, spring forward into something better. And, uh, and that's when I, I honestly tell you the truth. When I got let go in Cleveland, I left the building and I was excited. I could not, cause I was like, okay, God's got something. God's got something going on here. It's going to be a lot better than what we have now. I did not know what it was. Um, but uh, that's kind of where the broadcasting thing got a chance to take off, which which really allowed me to do 
what I'd wanted to do since I was young without sacrificing time away from my family. So it was, it really was, again, another low moment that turned into one of the best things that ever happened to me. And, and that was your immediate response rather than having to learn that later. You had so seen, that was, it was immediate crazy? because you had those experiences Yeah. You, because once you start to see it happen over and over again in your life, you now almost begin to celebrate some of the turmoil because you can't wait to see what God's doing. Um, so that was, I, I, I remember sitting in the general manager's office who I had a good relationship with. I'd known him for a long time and they hired a new general manager and he brought me in and, and told me that he was, he was letting me go. I remember saying I, clear as day. I said, uh, well, do you need me to, if you need me to stay for the meetings, I'd be happy to stay for the meetings. Um, whatever you need me to do, however I can help out, you know, I want you guys to be successful. Just let me know. You can, uh, you can go. So I said, all right, well, hey, I wish you the best of luck. I walked out of there. There were no tears shed. There was no, you know, what was me? It was, I was legitimately excited to see what was next. I love, man, that is, that, if anybody can take one thing out of our conversation, that is huge. I remember hearing Andy Stanley say years ago, he's talking about the life of Joseph. And he said, what if we lived every day like God really does have everything in control? And we know the outcome, <laughs> it would change it would change everything. And that's how Joseph oh, yeah. lived, but we'll worry and fret our way through life when God really does have it in the palm of his hand. And it ends up working out an amazing thing because you had really at that point thought you were going to be relocating to Connecticut potentially for yes. media and something yep. even better opened up closer, correct? Yeah, that was right. So during that time I had 18 months left on my contract with the Browns. So I had a unique opportunity to go pursue this media thing that I had wanted to do for a long time. So I started, you know, Chris Mortensen's a good family friend from ESPN, and he encourages me to start a Twitter Twitter feed. At that time, Twitter was just getting started. So I do that, and he really pushes me on there, and it really encourages people to follow me. And so I built up a pretty good following uh, in, in a real short manner, and then I started doing some radio interviews, and then I said, ESPN started having me do some TV and everything seemed to be going well there. And then, uh, you know, getting down to the end of my 18 months, I had been doing a lot of stuff with ESPN, but I hadn't signed a contract to go full time. And they were, it was really, really close to happening. It was supposed to happen. And then the NFL lockout takes place. And, uh, and so now ESPN says, we're going to have to wait a while until this lockout gets over. Well, I'm, I've got four kids. I can't, I can't sit here and wait for ESPN. Okay. God, I thought, we were going to take me in this media direction because then I wouldn't have to travel like I had with scouting. I'll be home more. Um, it's going to be better for our family. But hey, if this is not in your timing and this isn't what you want, uh, then I guess this is you know something again. Something better is out there. So we were all prepared to move to Connecticut to work at ESPN, um, but that doesn't happen. So I end up taking a job with the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, and scouting for them. And then halfway through my second year with them. Uh, my broadcasting agent, who I hadn't talked to in over a year, he calls me up out of the blue and says, hey, I know you're, you're back into scouting, but uh, I've got opportunities for you at ESPN as well as NFL Network if you're interested. So I talked with both of them, and, uh, and NFL Network was 80 miles from my house. I did oh, not have to move. Man. I didn't have to move my kids out of their schools. We stayed in our same church, which was love. Uh, so God, again, just be patient. Don't move all the way across the country to Connecticut. I've got something better for you. You just need to wait 18 months, you know, two years. And, and then he opened that door. So again, it was, okay, this is what I want. And, and God had his sight set on something much better. 
And now your life daily is a combination of all the worlds. You know, that, that, that old phrase, <laughs> we, we, I think we say it in every podcast because it's so true. God never wastes time and he never wastes our experiences. None of that's wasted now in what you do every day, is it? No question. And the neat thing is, is that in any, in any, you know, profession, any industry, any workplace, I don't care who you are, you're going to come across people that um, are going to get fired. You're going to come across people that are having a tough time um, and they don't understand it. And without the Lord, you really don't understand it because you don't have that hope. Uh, so that to me has become, that's the time when you really can, really can share, you know, you not only can share the gospel, but you can share your own experiences. And I think that to me, when you can tell people that you've that you've walked in their shoes or yeah. that you've been through a moment like that, man, it's a lot. It makes that conversation a lot easier. That's for sure. And now you're known as as the the draft guy. I mean, people watch you, especially going into the NFL draft season and the combines, and you're living in the war room watching film, just it's holding yourself away. Your podcast, and we'll have a link on our on our uh, show notes, moving the sticks that you and Becky Brooks, y'all are amazing on that podcast. And as a football fan, it's great to listen in and hear your evaluations of guys. What would what does your time as a player, even though it was in the collegiate world, yeah. how has that helped you in your evaluation of guys for something you never played in? You never played in the pros, but yet that, yeah. that time wasn't wasted those years at Northeast Louisiana and App State. How's that used in what you do now, your playing days? Well, I, it really does. It helps a lot. To me, it's more in the makeup of the, of the players. You know, we can, a lot, a lot of people can, you can watch the tape and you can watch the, the on the field stuff. And most people can, can kind of figure out, Oh, this is good. And this is bad. Um, but the challenge is really the hard part of scouting for teams. And it's, it's obviously hard on the media side too, is figuring out what makes these guys tick and, yep. and kind of how they're wired. And, and that's something when you're on in a locker room with guys, you can, you realize well, this guy's got all the talent in the world, but he doesn't do this, that, or the other. And you can look at somebody else and say, man, he's a little bit limited, but he just, he won't be denied. He knows his offense inside now. Uh, he catches, he catches everything. You know, he might not be run away from anybody, but he catches everything yep. and his work ethic is off the charts. So you learn a lot about the, the evaluation of the person, having been in the locker room, but the best thing that helped me um, when I, when I look at, you know, being able to evaluate or trying to do this job as best you can was the time in Baltimore, not only the training uh, from Ozzy and, and Phil Savage was there. It was a big influence uh, for me. It was, we had elite players like hall of fame players at so many positions, pro bowl players. You, you have to practice and you watch, you know, Ray Lewis at linebacker, Jonathan Ogden at offensive tackle. We had a 2000 yard rusher, in Jamal Lewis. Uh, we had a pro bowl tight end and Todd heap, a pro bowl cornerback and Chris McAllister, future all pro defensive man at Terrell Suggs, a perennial pro bowler in Haloti Nada. I got a chance to study great players and watch them practice every day and see what that looks like. Uh, and, you know, it's like that they tell you about counterfeiters, you know, people that study counterfeit money and, and are charged with figuring out what's fake. They don't study all the fake money. They they study the real currency. Well, and so good. once you know what the real currency looks like, you can spot a fake. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, it, some of that's in the spend so much time. Learn all this other stuff. Like let's let's hone in on let's get in the word and, and find out what's going on there because that's going to be uh, that's the real stuff. 
Boy, that is so good. I had the privilege of doing a couple chapels for the Ravens when they would come through town. And Rod Harrison was a good friend back at that time. Yeah. Man. And just, I remember standing there watching Ed Reed walk in and watching those guys walk in and getting to see them behind the scenes. It's amazing. People have no idea that the, the work ethic of guys that make it to oh, yeah. that level. It's un it really is unbelievable. And then as an evaluator, you go in and you have your you have the things you can see with your eyes, but then there are those other pieces to them, those moral how, what role does character play to you as a scout now and an evaluator? How do you how do you function into your makeup of a player, their character? Mm. Well, you know, it's 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 become even more important um, through the years, and especially with some of the things we've seen take place uh, with some guys, unfortunately, off the field. It's become it's become something you really better you better know these guys inside and out. Um, and I'll be li- I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's as important at every single position. Um, you know, kind of the this closer you get to the middle of the field, you get to your leadership positions, your your quarterback, your center, your middle linebacker, your safety. Those are communication positions. Um, those are leadership positions. So it carries a little bit more weight with those guys than maybe it does with a with a wide receiver or corner. But uh, you know, look, it, I I go back to what Andy Reid said when I was working for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he says it's a long season. It's a long year. It's a tough. It's a tough grind in the NFL. And every player that we draft or sign is going to do one of two things. They're going to bring energy and life to our building, or they're going to suck energy and life out of our building. So you better be cognizant of that when you're evaluating these guys at what we're doing. Ooh, buddy, that's solid right there. That is solid. Was that easy to pick up on? In an initial, what? How much did you have to watch a player to be able to figure that out? Well, I mean, you go. That's why you go to practices, you know, and you're around these guys in that setting. You talk to the strength coaches. You know, how is this? You know, is he somebody that's happy to be in the weight room, or does he just complain and moan the whole time that he's in here? Does he get other guys going? You know, what do they do extra? You know, that's that's one of the things I like to find out. I know what time he's supposed to be here. I know what you ask them to do. What does he do extra beyond that? Um, if, if, if you don't love football, you're not going to spend a lot of extra time in football. So that's one of the things you can find out. I always go, when I was scouting, I go find the film guy and go up to him and say, Hey, who's, uh, who's over here, you know, in the evenings watching some tape or who takes, who checks out the, the iPad and is, is putting extra time in. Um, those are things that, that, that tell me whether or not somebody's passionate about somebody, something and they're enthusiastic about it. Cause those are the types of guys you want around you. Uh, because man, there's a, there's some low moments. You go on a three game losing streak and you got a bunch of Debbie Downers in your. That's right. I don't care if it's upstairs in the personnel department or in the coaching staff or on, or on your team. Man, it just sucks the life out of that place. Big time, and and you know, and I don't think that you can quantify how much. I know John Gordon is making his mark now in this world, talking yeah. about his positivity, and he's right because that that whole energy bus and that energy vampire in locker rooms, they will absolutely devastate you. So here you are, you're on NFL Network, you are you have a phenomenal podcast, you're a dad, you're you're a husband, now you're in the Chargers radio booth. What's what's next for you? So here we are in the, in the, in the we're at the halftime of life. We're we're in the locker room and yeah. you're ready to head out for the second half. What do you want to see in the second half of your life, Daniel? 
Well, that's a, it's a great question. And it's something that I, I definitely think about here. Um, it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't know specifically what, what is next. I know this thing with the chargers is a new opportunity and it's kind of a new career muscle to try and try and build and, and, uh, and, and just really experience and see what that's like. But I just know that, you know, I, based off nothing I've done, I just been, I've been very, very blessed. And God's been, it's been great to me, but the, the platform he's given me is continuing to grow. Uh, and so I'm thinking constantly, how do I use this platform now uh, for eternal value? And uh, that's something that I'm, um, I've got a chance. I haven't done a lot of it, but I'm asking, speaking at some men's breakfast, something that I've started to do a little bit of that. Okay. I've been able to go, you know, speak to some colleges um, so there's, there's different, these different doors and these different avenues, um, that I'm getting a chance at now that I wouldn't have, you know, maybe, you know, three or four years ago. So to me, it's trying to figure out, okay, now God is, is really, really blessed me with a nice platform. How do I use it best? Yeah. And I, and you won't go wrong with that, you know, walking through those doors that he opens up for you, you'll end up right where, I mean, your, your life's a testimony that if you're faithful and you trust and you keep walking towards the Lord, he'll get you, even even in spite of us, he'll get us where he needs us to go <laughs> in spite of our loopholes and trying to go our own way at times. Oh, I, I think that, what is it, the, the, the Garth Brooks song, right? They thank God for unanswered uh, <laughs> prayers. I mean, that Absolutely. Is, that's a, that is the story of my life, man. I'm thankful that I did not get the stuff I wanted. You know, it's so great, though, and God doesn't bemoan us wanting those things because he knows we don't understand. He just wants us to trust him, and we know that. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, so here here you are. You're looking at life now, and, and you're seeing the impact you've made. If you were to tell somebody, a leader out there, maybe they're in business, maybe they're in sports. We've got a lot of coaches and athletes that listen in. Maybe they're in that arena. What would you tell them about with – about their ability to lead with their faith out in front, what challenge would you give them about their own spiritual journey? What would you say to them? Uh, that's, a, that's a real, that's a great question. Um, look, I, I think there's a, there is a, there's definitely a balance to be found. I think, you know, if you come in day one into an organization or into a role and you start trying to beat guys over the head, uh, it's not going to work. But what you do is once you start, once you start loving on guys and letting them know that you care about them, you'd be amazed that how how easily those doors open and those conversations take place. Um, but to me, that's one of the biggest things is come in there. I'm a firm believer in in being a servant leader, and I think once you once people realize that you want what's best for them and you're willing to sacrifice for them, you'd be amazed how quickly they. You don't even have to. You don't even have to come. You don't even have to bring it up. It could, they bring it up to you. What? What? So what? What is your deal, man? And and those those doors and those conversations happen a lot more organically, I think, than trying to force those things to happen. Trust me, it'll happen. I hope you enjoyed that time with Daniel. What a good guy! So gracious with his time. So gracious with sharing his story, and so gracious with just letting people in on what makes him tick and who he is as a leader. And I think it's that great reminder, no matter what profession somebody may be in, no matter what background that person may have, you really never know them till you sit and ask questions. You know, his dad is really one of the heroes of the faith 
of our generation. And boy, I know it's got to make his dad proud to look at a son like Daniel and see how, even though he is not a full-time professional minister, he is a minister in a whole different world. And I love that. Thank you so much, Daniel, for doing that with us. And boy, we pray that God continues to use you and bless you and do great things with you. Well, our next episode, episode 59, is going to be a fun one. Probably if there's any book outside the Bible I have recommended more than any other book, it was by this gentleman. His name is Dr. Gary Chapman. You know him from the five love languages and over 30 other books that he is the author of, but probably most notably the five love languages. He, when you say has made a mark on this generation, he has made a mark on relationships in this generation. And you are going to love hearing what makes Dr. Gary Chapman tick, and how he ended up even writing this book and the story of what got him there. It's going to be a fun one. He was truly a joy to spend time with. So thanks again for listening in today. I pray that as you live out this day, you'll live it out to its fullest, and you'll be the person that God created you to be in the space and the place that he's put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.